Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This podcast is graphic and deals with mature subject matter. You're listening to True Crime Chronicles. Authorities discovered her body inside a fridge with no clue about who she was. Since 1985, every time I come through here, I always have a habit of looking and I always think about that's where they found the redhead in the refrigerator. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Jessica Knoll. And I'm Will Johnson. The story we're telling you about this week is actually a string of murders that took place back in the 1980s in the Southeast. And a place called The Body Farm plays prominently in the story. Uh, Jessica, I know you've actually visited the Body Farm. Uh, it sounds creepy. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I visited the Body Farm on the University of Tennessee's campus a couple of years ago when I was working on another story. It's two and a half acres of bodies in different phases of decomposition. They place the bodies in different situations, under leaves or buried or right on top of the ground. So there's, you know, when, when a slight breeze comes through, there's definitely that smell of death in the air and... Uh, and investigators and students learn from these bodies on the farm. All right, we'll hear more about the body farm right now. Let's get into this week's story. The first redhead murder victim was found in 1983. Her body was left on the side of Route 250 near Littleton, West Virginia. A white female with auburn hair, double pierced ears, and a cesarean scar. No one knew who she was. The next year, on September 16, 1984, a 28-year-old is found also left on the side of the road, Interstate 40 in West Memphis, Arkansas. Police believe she was hitchhiking before she was killed. This time, though, they had a name, Lisa Nichols. It's very similar to the dumping of quote-unquote trash. Things that we don't need, we toss out the window. Shelly Schaefer has been working in the correction system for almost 25 years. Her clients are all incarcerated, men accused of selling drugs and drunk driving, all the way up to rape and murder. She can look at a crime and come up with a profile of the person who is perpetrating the crime. The person that we're looking at that who has committed these horrendous behaviors is dumping trash. He's dumping it just as much as he threw out his to-go bag from McDonald's. There's no care, there's no uh, humanity in the disposal of bodies. So he seems to view these as equivalent to trash that they're worthless and that they're not worthy of a burial or of a formal setting. But the killings continued. January 1st, 1985, the body of a young redhead woman was found strangled and dumped in Campbell County. The victim this time is pregnant. She's found off Interstate 75 near Jellicoe, Tennessee. And like the other women, her hair is red and still more murders. In the next four months, three more victims would be found near interstates and Chiba The next County, discovery in what was looking like a string of connected murders was on March 31st, 1985. The skeleton of a redheaded female is found in Pleasant View, Tennessee. Her body was located just off the westbound lanes of Interstate 24. And then, just a day later, on April 1st, 1985, another gruesome crime scene. 
This time in Barberville, Kentucky, and again, another redhead. Her body dumped just off the highway. And these guys were driving by looking for some spare parts, I think kind of just picking up trash on the side of the road and spotted this fridge, thought, hey, we can get some spare parts. And they're the ones that discovered the body. Leslie Ackerson is an investigative reporter with WBIR in Knoxville, Tennessee. So this woman, this redheaded Jane Doe, she was in the fridge and the autopsy showed she she died from asphyxiation. There was like no markings around her neck or anything. She was literally just closed up in this fridge. J.M. Hall is now a Knox County, Kentucky judge executive, but back in 1985, he was studying to be a coroner when he was called to the scene. He was like a junior coroner, you know, going out as an intern with the coroner of the town. He was super young, only 21 years old, and he went out on the scene when they found this woman. Pretty busy roadway, it's Highway 25 that goes through Kentucky. I was young then, I was 21 years old. Uh, I hadn't been around any murder cases at that time. Right here, right past this log, uh, is where the refrigerator sat. The woman's body was recovered and then taken back into town. And so, since Barberville's super small, they brought her body back to the corner. People came by to see if they knew her, and, and nobody knew her at all. It was it was kind of sad, and people in the town, they say, were really fearful and cautious because this had happened. She had two gold chains separate. One of them had a gold eagle pendant, and the other one was a gold heart. But that's really all they had to go on another redhead, another Jane Doe. But the murders were definitely getting attention now. These are locations I would look more deeply into how, what's the proximity to a rest stop, to a truck stop. Um, during that time in the mid, early mid 80s, um, prostitution uh, or sex work, sex workers and truck stops were prevalent. Um, it was the rise of crack cocaine epidemic so we found a lot of women that were resulting to sex work in order to feed different addictions. I would not be surprised, and I don't want to victim shame, but I would not be surprised if some of the women were either involved in sex work or were trying to make money in a quick way or trying to get away from something and doing so from a truck stop location. At that time, there was known to have been several redheaded people that may have been missing or murdered along the I-75 corridor. But without an ID, the people of Barberville did all they could for the unknown woman. The town of Barberville, you know, this little town really embraced this poor dead woman who had no one to claim her, care for her. They did a funeral. They had local singers that came and sang, and uh, local businessmen acted as pallbearers. Someone donated a casket. Someone donated a grave. She's buried in the back corner back here. You can see it says unknown April the 1st, 1985. But the killer, or killers, weren't done there would be one more murder after the redhead in the refrigerator. On April 14, 1985, a young female with pink fingernails was discovered near Greenville, Tennessee, along Interstate 81. The cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. She'd been there for two or three weeks before she was found. She had pink fingernail polish on. That shows that she was still caring for herself. So was she a captive of his? No, it doesn't sound as much like that unless uh, she was being held captive and allowed to do manicures and pedicures. So that sounds like she was still caring for herself and still, still somewhat considered to be free. I wouldn't have thought her to be tied up and, and held against her will for four months if she's still painting her nails. One more nameless redhead, one more body dumped on the side of the road, six murders, all redheads, all but one nameless.
a string of brutal killings across four southern states, West Virginia, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee. People started talking about the Bible Belt Strangler, and theories started to emerge. Strangulation is definitely a personalized manner of death. When you strangle someone, the amount of time that you have to be face-to-face with them is intense. And I won't go into details, but it is very personal. It's a face-to-face for an extended period of time. It's rageful. It's anger. You know, people do have a thought that maybe it was a truck driver. Maybe that's why all these women were along a certain part of road that stretched across these different states. Maybe that's why there was the, the trait of the red hair. I I do kind of go with the truck driver theory just because of where the women's bodies were found, a lot of them along major roadways, almost like someone was driving. I think that uh, if these are all linked, this person can present himself as very kind and welcoming. I don't think their first impressions of him to any of the victims were that of fear. I don't think that they would look at him as being the boogeyman or a monster that he is. I think he would be initially be able to put on what we call the psychopathic traits. You know, he might be very charming, might be just present himself in a welcoming manner. Because it doesn't appear that, from the information that I've got, that there was much of somebody taken or that there was a scene. It appears that they may have all gone willingly with this individual. So he may be able to be like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde and present himself as a kind or friendly first impression. And that's what drew in these women to go with him. But back in Barberville, there was another theory, perhaps even more chilling. We may be living amongst a serial killer. We may be living, it may not have been a serial killer. It may have been someone that was actually here that lives here in this county today. I don't think they're someone in that town. I think the town, especially of Barberville, Kentucky, where this red head Jane Doe was found, it's a small town. People, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows this story. I really don't think that that could have been hidden for 30-something plus years and someone not come forward or someone not know something. I feel like with this many connected cases and no answers, it has to be somebody that was random and not connected to these women in, in any way. Years, then decades go by, more than three decades, and still no IDs, just that one victim, Lisa Nichols. The other five are nameless. I probably pass this site three times, four times a week, and I know there's probably some family out there that would like to know if they had a mother or a sister or a daughter who had passed away that they've never found. Until 2018, when the University of Tennessee's body farm got a hit. The redheaded murders were all females. They were all young. Dr. Bill Bass founded the Body Farm in 1987. His goal? To catch killers and identify victims. It all starts with me sitting down at a table and looking at uh, looking at bones. The Body Farm's anthropology department is home to 1,800 skeletons. It's the pelvis and the skull of those skeletons that gives us the most information. They tell us sex, age, and ancestry. But perhaps most importantly, we also get DNA. That's how the second redheaded murder victim is ID'd, Tina Marie McKinney Farmer. It turns out she was around 20 years old when she went missing from Indiana in 1984 and later found dead on New Year's Day, 1985. So three decades later, we finally learn who she is. Well, you know, once you have an ID, you know, you know a lot about that person. Getting another positive ID could be critical to the investigation and maybe in finding a suspect. 
Todd Matthews is with the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. You know, we know who their family is. We know who they were connected to. We have so much more information. So that possibly could reveal somebody that could have been the killer. So a homicide investigation is now hot. We're waiting for FBI and the DNA analysis. It'll be just one day and it'll happen and we'll know the answer. It's important to keep looking because somebody out there is waiting for answers. The right person at the right time is going to hear something that could get these cases solved. Some of these people have died. Some of them don't have family members. So much time has passed. And especially with a case like this, a Jane Doe didn't even have a name. Nothing tied to this person, you know? So we've got two victims ID'd at this point. Still four Jane Doe's. But here's where making cold cases public, getting them in front of people again, can make all the difference. In June of last year, police asked for the public's help identifying a Jane Doe found inside of a refrigerator on the side of US 25 East in Knox County, Kentucky. It originally started the Kentucky State Police had sent out a press release early in the summer, I think it was 2016, bringing attention back to the case. Uh, it was Gray County, Knox County type area in Kentucky. They had pictures of this necklace that the woman is wearing. A woman named Elizabeth Pilgrim saw the news footage and it got her wondering. I think it's her. The necklaces, my brother recognizing, the birthmark, the stain, you know, the tooth, the scar. Elizabeth was less than a year old when her mother vanished from North Carolina. Around the same time, the body was discovered inside that refrigerator in those Kentucky woods. Leslie Ackerson saw photos of the victim and Elizabeth's mom. And the pictures really are similar. You know, they, they do have some photos of the woman when she was found. They used to post kind of those original corpse photos. Even just looking at that and looking at this woman's Facebook picture when I was messaging with her, I, I got kind of goosebumps of like, this is her. It's going to be her. More than 30 years later, she believes that Jane Doe was her mother. Now she's praying that DNA will answer the question she's been asking her entire life. 34 years is a long time. Not knowing is like the worst part. And then you got to keep being put on hold and put on hold, you know, it's heartbreaking a little bit. <laughs> Knowing that it's her is a major part, but I don't think that's going to be fully all my closure. Pilgrim ends up submitting her DNA to see if there's a match with the murder victim found over three decades ago. And then she waits. She waits for over a year. And then she gets the news. It was October 2018. Meanwhile, after 33 years, Kentucky State Police have identified one of the redhead murder victims. It is her mother. Uh, she had grown up her entire life not knowing who her mother was. The woman had gone missing for, uh, you know, she was only, I think, under one years old, so she never had known her. The murder victim is Espy Regina Black Pilgrim. In Barberville, Kentucky, the town finally has a name. The red hen in the refrigerator is no longer just a Jane Doe. I think it's really sweet that the community saw this need and, and reacted, and they followed this story for years. And even when, you know, she was identified and her daughter was linked to her, I think the people in that town really rejoiced with that because uh, it was something they'd known about for so long, you know, that they had been hopeful for. But her killer is still unknown. And that's where it kind of gets linked into that redhead murders serial killer theory that there's these women along the I-75 corridor that share the trait of having red hair. Could she have been a, a part of that? And, you know, that hasn't progressed at this time, being able to find out who actually killed her and, and why she was found the way she was. A month later, in November 2018, another victim is identified. This time, it's the redhead who was found near Greenville, Tennessee in April of 1985. 
found just a few weeks after S.B. Pilgrim's body was found in the refrigerator. The TBI has now identified a homicide victim killed more than 30 years ago who may be a victim of the red-headed killer. The victim is 17-year-old Elizabeth Lamont. She disappeared from New Hampshire in November of 1984. A teen girl who left a youth development center in New Hampshire in November 1984 her body found six months later in Tennessee. Um, they may have befriended one another, is, is my initial thought, because she was last seen in November of 84, and then her uh, remains were found in uh, four months later in 1985, over 900 miles away from where she was last seen. Police were able to ID her after a tip came in about her disappearance, and her brothers provided DNA. And that's where we stand today. Four victims have names, but all six cases are still open, and the theories of a Bible Belt Strangler linger. I think what's really hard about the redhead murders and that theory is there are so many of them, and some that share similarities, some that don't, and it's hard to figure out which ones fall into that category, which ones could be linked. We've seen success with the Golden State Killer and these serial killers that years have gone by and there is still hope that they can be caught and all these answers can, can happen even when that much time has passed. And I, I really hope that is in the future for, for these cases because I do feel like these women deserve that justice. They deserve putting a, a name to their face and they deserve you know to know who did this. And if they are all connected, Criminal profiler Shelly Schaefer has her theory about what drives the killer. Uh, my first gut instinct was, okay, who in his life as a child had red hair and did him wrong? So that was my first instinct was to go back to look at his childhood. Was there somebody in his life, say a female caregiver, a mother figure, um, somebody, a babysitter, somebody with reddish hair that had wronged him and that prompted this anger? It's most likely been seen throughout his lifetime, but he's been able to quell it to a degree. You might go back into his history and see that he's had some bar fights or some suspensions for from school as a youth for fighting, for mouthing off to teachers, things like that being disruptive. But definitely, he's got something, if these are linked, that is specifically focused on the reddish-haired females. Not everything Freud said was wrong. Sometimes it is about your mother. And if there was a red-haired mother figure that was abusive, neglectful, he was taking that rage that was uncontrolled, he wasn't able to express as a child, out on her throughout the rest of his life. The community still talks about it to this day, the redhead in the refrigerator. Jessica, we're talking about in this story a half a dozen, six murders, possibly more out there. Uh, I want to talk about that aspect of it and, and actually families that are looking for, for loved ones, how that plays into this story. I know you were recently just at CrimeCon, which is a true crime convention in New Orleans. And there are a lot of people there, not just people who are interested in true crime or investigators or uh, podcasters, but people who are there who are actually looking for their family members. I met a lot of people who they're looking for their family members. They're seeking justice for their loved ones. Some who have gone missing, some who are murdered, and their cases remain cold. And they just want answers, just like all of these Jane Doe's families. Right. They want answers. They want to know possibly where they are or where they ended up. And then who's to blame? 
is there someone out there who who killed their loved one? Right. And as you know, it all starts with identifying these victims. All right. We will be back next week with a new story, a new case every week. True Crime Chronicles is a Vault Studios production. You can tell your friends to listen, subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all major listening apps. Vault Studios is on Instagram and Twitter.